Our call to worship this morning is Psalm 8. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, What are humans that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, How majestic is your name in all the earth. Our opening hymn this morning is a new one on me, but hopefully um, Paul's found us a tune that we can sing it to. God, the Father of creation, source of life and energy. And if you're able to stand as we sing, you're invited to do so. So we're going to come to God in prayer, and after I've led us in a relatively short prayer, giving thanks to God for creation, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer, and as is our custom, you're invited to say that in your own first language, and whichever version is familiar to you. But if you need a version, there will be one on the screen behind me. So let's come to God in prayer. Loving God. Source of all creation, it is good to meet together in this place 
to offer you our praise and prayers. As we ponder the wonder of your creation, we find ourselves lost for words. How can we even begin to find words to express our gratitude? The shining stars that spangle the deep darkness of the night sky and the motes of dust caught dancing in a sunbeam. The dark, mysterious forests where tree branches reach for the sky and the shiny brown conkers and golden sycamore keys found on woodland walks. The majestic mountains towering above the highest towers that we can build and the fossils of creatures who lived so long ago that no one can count. The surging oceans whose waves roll across distant shores and the rock pools on beaches where crabs may be found. The vast deserts shifting and changing as the wind swirls the sand and the fun that we may have making sandcastles or mud pies on a beach. (coughs) The powerful animals that roam wild in jungle, savannah and prairie (coughs) and the tiny beetles, spiders and snails in our own gardens and yards. For all those which we have named, and for all those which we cannot call to mind, we thank you. (coughs) Generous God, who has blessed us with creation in all its wonderful variety, we join our voices with those of countless others as we continue to pray for the fulfilment of your kingdom here on earth. As we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom
there's a saying attributed to many different people, including the Dalai Lama and Anita Roddick, the founder of Body Shop. Why those two? I do not know, but there you go. That says, if you think you are too small to have an impact, try going to bed with a mosquito. Mosquitoes are tiny, but they make a nasty nip, don't they? And they can spread nasty diseases. I wonder who's ever been bitten by a midge. Who's had a midgey bite? Most people. Or if you come from further south, a gnat. Or if you're from overseas, it might be something else again. Midges and gnats and things. And they're tiny, aren't they? You can hardly see them. But what's it like when they, when they bite you? You just go, oh, all right, fine. Or does it itch? Does it hurt? Are you like me where they blow up into great big horrible yucky things? Tiny little things, but they make a huge difference. I've got some small things today. I have a lot of them, but I'll just show you one for now. Um, There's a picture on the screen, just in case um, you can't see the one I've got. This is physically the smallest coin you can get in the UK. It's not the lowest value, but it's physically the smallest. It's actually smaller than a one pence. It's a five pence coin. It's tiny, isn't it? Anybody tell me what you can buy for five pence? <coughs> Sorry? Plastic carrier bag. A plastic carrier bag. <laughs> yeah, well done, Jeff. Any, anything, anybody else think of anything you can buy for five pence? A sweet, one sweet, yes. I think, we, I think, can you do it on those ones where you give it to the charity and you get a sweetie for a 5p or something? So, and some shops will sell them, don't they? The chews and lollies, perhaps. But you can't buy much for 5p, can you? It's just a tiny, teeny coin of very little value. Jesus told a story once about a woman who had 10 silver coins. They were probably worth a bit more than this one is worth, to be fair. And one day, she realized that instead of ten, there were nine. So she looked under the table. It wasn't there. And she looked under the chair. And it wasn't there. And she looked in the cooking pot. And it wasn't there either. So she got her sweeping brush and she swept everywhere, all around the house, hunting high and low, until finally she found her missing coin. And she was so happy that she ran next door and said, I found my coin, I found my coin, I found my coin. Now you might think she was a bit bonkers running around saying, I found my coin, but she was so happy because she thought she'd lost it and she'd found it. Jesus told us a story also about somebody who had a 100 sheep and lost one of them. Now, you wouldn't think 100 sheep if you lost one, it would matter because you've still got 99. You'd be pretty busy looking after 99 sheep, wouldn't you? But the shepherd in the story went and looked for that sheep 
until they found it. And when they brought it back, they went, hooray, hooray, party time. don't think they had lamb for dinner that day. They probably had a, a nice vegetarian meal that day to celebrate the fact that they got the lamb or the sheep that was lost, was found. I've got lots of five Ps here, and I want to give them out to you to remind each person that you are precious to God and God loves you. Now, it would take all day for me to go around and do everybody by name, but I'll do a few, and then um, we can just pass them round. So, Sarah, remember that God always loves you. Freya, remember that God always loves you. Elaine, remember that God always loves you. Graham, remember God always loves you. Max, remember, God always loves you. Birthday boy David, remember that God always loves you. Your kids will just give it away, won't they? Merida, remember, God always loves you. Anita, remember, God always loves you. Bonnie, remember that God always loves you. Neil, remember, God always loves you. That's the boys hiding. Oh, right at the back. Aidan, oops, remember, God always loves you. Carl, remember, God always loves you. We've got, we haven't got Esther, but we've got David. Oh, they're right, I'll give you one for Esther and one for David. So, for Esther and David, God always loves you. Addy, God always loves you. And God always loves you. And God loves everybody. So please just take one coin and pass them on. Keep those coins. And remember, no matter how insignificant you ever feel, God will always love you. I think we'll stay seated because we're passing coins around as we do this. But we're going to sing um, a version of the Lord's My Shepherd, remembering that as the shepherd searched for the sheep until he found it. So God... (laughs) will always be with us to look after us. Thanks, Paul.
first reading today is from Psalm 51. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean from my sin. I recognize my faults. I am always conscious of my sins. I have sinned against you, only against you, and done what you consider evil. So you are right in judging me. You are justified in condemning me. I have been, bo- I have been evil from the day I was born. From the time I was conceived, I have been sinful. Sincerity and truth are what you require. Fill my mind with your wisdom. Remove my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the sounds of joy and gladness. And though you have crushed me and broken me, I will be happy once again. Close your eyes to my sins and wipe out all my evil. Create a pure heart in me, O God, and put a new and loyal spirit in me. Our next reading is from Matthew chapter 18. What do you think a man does who has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost? He will leave the other ninety-nine grazing on the hillside and go and look for the lost sheep. When he finds it, I tell you, he feels far happier over this one sheep than over the other ninety-nine that did not get lost. In just the same way, your Father in heaven does not want any of these little ones to be lost. And our last reading is from Luke chapter 15. One day, when many tax collectors and other outcasts came to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started grumbling. This man welcomes outcasts and even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. What do you do? You leave the other 99 sheep in the pasture and go looking for the one that got lost until you find it. When you find it, you are so happy that you put it on your shoulders and carry it back home. Then you call your friends and neighbours together and say to them, I am so happy that I found my lost sheep. Let us celebrate. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 respectable people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins loses one of them. What does she do? She lights a lamp, sweeps her house and looks carefully everywhere until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says to them, I am so happy I found the coin I lost. Let us celebrate. In the same way, I tell you, the angels of God rejoice over one sinner who repents.
I'm going to be using quite a few images this morning, so it might be helpful if we could just uh, take the lights down a bit so you can hopefully see them. Thank you. I know sometimes I put pictures up and people sit very politely and can't see a thing and then told me at the end they couldn't see them. Where I grew up in the East Midlands, there is a saying that is often given when you ask for directions to somewhere that it will be really complicated to get to. And you'll say, well, can you tell me the way to Stirling Castle from Glasgow? And they will say, well, frankly, if I was going there, I wouldn't start from here. I give up. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. If I was going there, I wouldn't start from here. And that's kind of how I felt as I read over the eco-congregation material for the theme we're looking at today. It seemed like that. They'd got a title, and they wanted to get to where this title was taking them, and then they had some readings that didn't really quite go that way. So I'm going to start somewhere totally different, and we'll see where we end up. This is a photo that was taken, to the best of my knowledge, in 1966. It shows my grandma, who had come down for her annual visit from Glasgow to where we then lived in North Buckinghamshire. And May and my siblings are there with her. So I'm three years old at the uh, autumn of 1966. Uh, the elder of my brothers is three, the little one brother is two, uh, sorry, it's just, my bad brother's two, the other brother's one, and my sister is just a few months old. It's just a family photo, an ordinary family in a place that probably none of you have heard of on an ordinary day. So why am I starting there? Well, if you've been watching the television this week, You've probably seen other photos of other children taken in 1966. Because in October 1966 was the now famous or infamous Aberfan disaster. It had been raining. It was more like the autumn we had last year. Do you remember how it rained and rained and rained? And at the top of the mountain or the hill was a spoil heap of one of the pits. And the rain had started to dislodge it and people had said to the management they were concerned about this. But nothing had been done. And probably in the weeks preceding the tragedy, small amounts of coal and dust had slid down the mountain. And they would have been gathered up by the poorest people and put in their coal sheds to save, to burn, when the weather got really cold. If my memory serves right, Jeff, you would have just been starting an infant school. You'd have been there about a month. This would be coming up to your first half term when this happened. 21st of October, 1966, was a Friday just before half-term began for the children at Pantglass Junior School in Abervan. The registers had been taken, the classes had begun, and then at 
Tragedy struck. An uncontrollable slurry slid down the hillside, engulfing the school and several nearby homes. The final death toll included 28 adults and 116 children aged between 5 and 11. An inquiry found that the National Coal Board had been negligent, citing failures both locally at the pit and nationally in terms of the structures in place. There seems to have been little or no awareness of the geophysical factors and the prevailing culture ignored or failed to respond to concerns that had been raised in the previous weeks. Since that disaster, there have been enormous legislative changes to reduce the risk of anything like that happening again. 144 ordinary, insignificant people going about their ordinary, everyday lives. I did a few sums. Out of the Welsh population, which then as now was around about 2.5 million people, this is a tiny fraction, less than five thousandths of 1% of the population. So compared to 1 in 100 sheep or 1 in 10 coins, very tiny. But for those who name the Vertha Valley as home, and for the majority of people in South Wales to this day, this unwanted legacy remains. The changes in industrial practice that we now take for granted arose because of an enormous human tragedy. In 2013, in Dhaka, Bangladesh, an eight-storey building known as the Savar Building or the Rana Plaza Building, containing shops, flats, and notably a garment factory, collapsed, leaving around 1,200 people dead and around twice as many seriously injured. The story is similar. The day before the tragedy, cracks had appeared in the walls of the building and concerns had been raised. But the owners of the factory insisted that the workers returned the next day to resume work. The causes of the tragedy that were identified are many and complex. The place on which this was built, running over a pond or a stream, a change from commercial to industrial use, the addition of extra floors without appropriate consent, and the use of very poor quality building materials. 1,200 people, many living in poverty and squalor and working in conditions we can't begin to imagine, were making clothes to be sold in the expensive stores in the high streets of countries like ours. Bangladesh has an enormous population, so huge that even 1,200 deaths counts for less than one thousandth of one percent of the total. Numerically, 
totally insignificant on that scale. And yet, the impact globally was huge. Whether the lessons from disasters such as Abhavan had failed to reach Dakar, or whether Western disinterest makes those who bought the the garments complicit is, frankly, a moot point. Lives were lost, and families were torn apart needlessly because, in the grand scheme of things, they were judged as insignificant. Jesus told stories about things that, superficially at least, were very insignificant. A farmer who lost one sheep out of a hundred. A woman who lost one coin out of ten. If you know Luke well, he also talked about a father who lost one son out of two. And there are many ways we can read these stories and understand them. But surely one of them has to be that God is interested in those people, those animals, those plants and those things that we may consider to be totally insignificant. If God is cast in the role of the shepherd that looks for the sheep or the woman who hunts for her coin, then God is never, ever, ever going to write off anyone or anything as worthless. I honestly believe that when the slurry slipped down the hillside in Wales and engulfed a school, God saw it and God was horrified. I honestly believe that when the building collapsed in Bangladesh, wreaking havoc in its wake, God saw that and was horrified. God cares about the smallest, seemingly most insignificant thing, whether, as the scriptures tell us, it's a sparrow that falls from the sky unseen, or the widespread human suffering that comes as a result of what is often avoidable, humanly made disaster. But that's not enough, is it? It isn't enough to say that God sees and that God cares. In the face of tragedy, or environmental or social, we can feel utterly powerless, and we find unanswerable questions arising in our minds. Why doesn't this God do something then? If God sees and God knows and God cares, why does it happen? Well, I think God does do something. I just think that God doesn't intervene with a miraculous response every time something goes wrong because if that was the case, we wouldn't be free. We would just be puppets. Concerns about the conditions of people working in places like Dakar in Asia go back before this tragedy. 
the fair trade movement, which is perhaps best known for coffee and bananas and chocolate, has for most of this century and probably a little bit before been working very hard to improve the conditions of people who grow, manufacture, weave and make garments from cotton. They're concerned that it is properly done, that people are given good conditions. And you can go into any of the supermarkets, Tesco's, Asda, Sainsbury's, whoever, who sells clothes, and you will find fair trade cotton t-shirts there. If you buy gifts from Tradecraft or Tearfund, you will find the fair trade mark on things that they sell, often more luxury things like pashminas and, and silk as well as cotton. People who want to make a difference, who want to say that these other people matter. In India, supported by BMS World Mission, and um, in its early days, with a lot of its custom coming from organisations like Baptist Insurance in Great Britain and Baptist World Alliance globally, is a company called Freeset. Freeset seeks to serve women who have been caught up in the sex trade. Some have been trafficked and become involved that way. Some have had no choice. They are so poor that the only thing they have left to sell is their bodies. And this tragedy, to some degree, is being averted by Christians getting involved and creating a safe place for these women to have a job, to learn skills, but also to discover that they matter, that they have worth in themselves, that God loves them, and God will always love them. God cares about people and animals and things that we might think are insignificant. And the way that God responds is usually through people like us getting involved. Well, that's certainly one way of hearing the story, an important way, and I realise I'm probably way out of time by now. Um, But eco-congregation people have a different idea. They think that maybe the church is cast in the role of the sheep that goes astray. That the church, the Christians in this world, were the people that God trusts to look after it. And that actually we've either become disinterested or blasé or have a kind of theology that says, well, frankly, it's all going to burn anyway. What the heck? And so we haven't looked after it. We've just plundered it, taken what we wanted, not even necessarily what we needed. And perhaps we weren't meaning to do damage to the planet, but we have. And what they suggest is that God, like the shepherd, comes to us perhaps in unexpected ways through individuals and organisations that care about the planet and draw us back, say, come on, come back. It's okay, it's not too late, church. You're not beyond redemption. I gave you this beautiful planet to look after and to enjoy and you can have another go. 
I think that's kind of what they're saying. I've got two pages, but I can't read it because we'll still be here at tea time if I do. This world that God has given us is very beautiful and very precious and very fragile. And God has given each and every one of us gifts and skills which can be used for the good of all. Whether it's that we give money to organisations, whether it's that we sign petitions against fracking or whatever it is that we know to be bad for the planet, whether it's that we get involved at a grassroots level, that little thing that we do, however insignificant it may seem to us, God can use it. God will use it. God sees. God cares. And God says to the whole of creation, you are always precious in my sight. So we're going to sing again another song that we don't know, but hopefully we will know the tune. How shall we handle this planet you loaned us? Teach us to savour the air and the soil. Show us the plants and the creatures to cherish. Prompt our restraint with the ore and the oil.
Let us pray. Dear God, we think of the things in the natural world that inspire us. For mountains, for the sea, for trees and for animals. We think of the beauty of this time of year, but also of other parts of the planet which, in contrast, are experiencing a different beauty, that of spring. Please help us to remember those to whom the natural world has caused devastation, those who have suffered by way of flood, drought, famine, earthquake, or volcanic eruption. Sometimes these disasters can be seen to be caused by the actions of humans, Please help us all to see the consequences of all our actions. Please be with those who spend their lives in trying to prevent (coughs) such catastrophe, either by practical means or through campaigning. Some of these phenomena seem, however, to be uncontrollable. Sometimes we cannot see how such bad things can be part of your world and be allowed to happen. Please guide us through this and be with those who struggle with it. We come to you as human beings present on this planet. Over the last few hundred years, our collective knowledge of the functioning of this universe has increased greatly. We've placed more and more faith in science, but often our knowledge is based on, at best, simplistic and in general, inaccurate reporting of complex matters. When we look at things in any depth, we find that science provides more questions and points of debate than it provides answers. We have chipped away at the surface, but there is so much that remains a mystery. We do not even know how small a part of your creation we are, and how can it be that we are so small, but each one of us is still important to you? None of us will ever find an answer to this question, but please help us all to know it and accept it, perhaps even viewing it as a wonder of creation. Quite rightly, we pray frequently for people around the world whose lives consist of severe hardship and absolute poverty. We think of them now. However, Let us examine ourselves and consider what we really and honestly want for those who have much less than us in terms of material wealth. What if everyone had the privileges and luxuries that we have? What effect would that have on the planet? Our lives rely so heavily on the using up of the resources provided to us. This planet is and has always been in a state of change. We are, however, frightened that significant changes that may be attributable to our own actions are being seen and predicted. There is so much talk of sustainability and climate change, but by how much do we alter our lifestyles? When we do try to make responsible choices, how far do we go? Usually we end up tying ourselves up in knots and then carrying on as before, but with some additional guilt. Help us to be grateful for what we are able to have, but at the same time to become serious about using it carefully. 
Please let us allow you to guide us in our actions, thoughts and decisions in the days ahead for the good of all and to do justice to what you have provided. Amen. Where there is love and kindness, God is there. God of love and kindness, we bring these our gifts of money. Insignificant on a global scale, but offered willingly to be employed in your service. So help us to spend them wisely, that we may continue the work of Jesus in this place. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm never quite like referring to myself as a wretch, but never mind. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If we're able, we stand as we sing together.
Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. Deep peace of the gentle night to you. Moon and stars pour their healing light on you. Deep peace of Christ, of Christ the Lord, light of the world to you. Deep peace of Christ to you, now and always. Thank you.